Welcome to episode number 168, The Philosophies of Men and the Mingling of Scripture. I am your host, Damon Soka. It is now time to address a topic that is likely to get me canceled. The philosophies of men are so ingrained in our social culture that to speak of them as such can and often is a canceling event. Now, I personally don't care much for the divisive nature of the discussion that has so often occurred within society, conservative, liberal, woke, anti-woke, and so forth. I really don't find them very helpful to discussion. When we start down these roads and begin to cancel one another, we create such a terrible divide and a terrible place to live. Now, I am by nature a person who believes that each of us has the right to preach what we desire. And if I don't like what I hear, I really don't have to listen, although I tend to listen to all sides of the discussion, simply for understanding. I truly want to understand the why, even if I am not inclined to believe it. I truly attempt to understand people, because I have been on that side of mental illness of misunderstanding for some time now. I work to listen, but listening in our current society definition has come to mean that I have to ascribe to the doctrine I am hearing, otherwise I didn't listen. That somehow empathizing means that I must defend the new position. I can certainly empathize without fully believing a contradicting doctrine, and I can respect that others do not feel or see the same way as I do. I have a motto, seek to listen, but to each his own. Now why all of that discussion? because today I'm going to tackle a problem and a topic that exists within the culture of society and the church and has become a flashpoint of contention and is often intertwined with mental illness. Now, I alluded to it in the last podcast, but I danced around it a bit. We have a number of psychological theories currently trending in our culture that run contrary to scriptural doctrine dictated by 15 prophets, revelators, and seers in what is called the Proclamation, or the Proclamation on the Family. I have a firm belief in this revealed doctrine. I don't think that it's a secret, given my podcast and what I have said on that podcast, but I have not addressed the issue directly. I hope that if you struggle with these issues, you will continue to listen today and not cancel me right away. I am not here to preach or to dictate. I recognize that individuals dealing with sexuality, gender identity, and LGBTQ issues have deep and poignant feelings regarding the matter. I know that they feel real feelings and have real desires. There exists no way that a person, such as I, having had a serious bipolar at one time in my life, and having felt deep depressions, anxiety, and mania, feelings that few experience in their lifetimes, could state that another person could have feelings outside of my own experience. I believe what they feel is real and reality for them, and I can empathize with feelings outside of most person's normal experience. I can empathize with their situation and the ostracizing effect they feel and experience regularly both in and out of the church. Telling someone you are bipolar might not be the same as saying you are part of the LGBTQ community or that you have a differing gender, but in some ways it can be very close. I personally have never experienced strong feelings regarding a different gender or same-sex attraction in the sense that I believe 
these other individuals do. When I was bipolar, I experienced what is called hypersexuality, where the desire for sex is significantly augmented to, let's just call it terrible levels. But I've never experienced what these individuals have felt at that intensity. I've never been ostracized from the church circles to the extent these individuals are, but I have felt it in part through mental illness. What am I, what am I saying is that I do empathize with those struggling to reconcile church doctrine, the family proclamation, and feeling so deep that they feel an intricate part of one's life. It is painful to know the truth and to have feelings that contradict that truth in some way. It feels as though your soul is being torn apart. While I may not fully understand same sex and gender issues to the same extent, I do know what it is like to have one's soul torn apart by feelings, truth, and the reconciliation that is always present. So today, what I have to say about this subject is my own personal belief. The doctrines that I espouse today are my own and do not necessarily reflect church doctrine, although I believe they will be in line with that doctrine and the family proclamation. I want to express how I have reconciled my own personal emotional concerns and maybe they will help one person. And one person is enough. I want to start with some understanding of a question that runs deep in the circle of sexuality and gender. How could God command one thing and then make us feel so deeply another way? Although this might not pertain to other questions as well within one's own life, I will address it directly in the sense of sexuality and gender. Now, I will also talk about the correlation between it and mental illness as best I can based on my experience and speaking with others. When we talk about God and creation and who we are as a people, we have to start before this earth life. We have scant information about the pre-mortal world and so much of what I'm going to state, I do so with the understanding that it is a rational extension of the limited information we currently know. From what little scriptures found in Doctrine and Covenants 93 and 138, the Family Proclamation in Abraham 3, we have a basic understanding of what occurred before this life. Now I'm going to break that time frame into three phases. Phase one will be before our spiritual creation into spiritual bodies, meaning creation into spiritual bodies like our Father and Mother in Heaven. Phase two I'm going to call the pre-first estate, and then phase three the first estate. Now somewhere in the eons of time when our Father and Mother in Heaven obtained their titles, they started the process of spiritual creation. In phase one, it appears from very small hints that we may have progressed as some type of spiritual consciousness before we became children to our Father and Mother in Heaven. How long that was and what it looked like is really not known, and maybe we couldn't even fully understand it as mortals. But we had some type of agency and ability to choose, and that was part of the selection process for becoming children of our Father and Mother in Heaven. And then somewhere, that consciousness was placed into a spiritual body, and that body was made like unto our Heavenly Mother or our Heavenly Father. 
That birth process, whatever it entailed, began phase two, which I call our pre-first estate phase. We were born into a gender or sex as stated in the family proclamation. The Doctrine and Covenants noted that we were innocent at that time, meaning that we started learning the laws of celestial life as innocent children. Now, this doesn't mean that we had not progressed before this or that we were not conscious before this. It just means that when we started as our Father in Heaven and Mother in Heaven's children, we were innocent to everything that had occurred before. When we progressed during Phase 2, we were living with our Father and Mother in Heaven and learning of celestial life. Sometime during that process, as we learned knowledge of good and evil, we gained agency and began to make our own choices. But being in the presence of celestial beings, it was likely that we didn't make too many poor choices. Once we came to a sufficient knowledge, we needed to be able to act with our knowledge somewhat outside of the purview of our Father and Mother in Heaven. We knew He was watching, as He always is, as He currently is. But He wasn't directly present with us during this time frame we call the First Estate. Yes, the entire pre-mortal life could be called a first estate, based on Abraham's description of God coming down to us. There was a time, though, when we were separated from Him so that we could make choices on our own and based on our own desires. The first estate had no veil, though, and we were fully aware of the choices, wrong and right, good and evil, and the consequences of them. It was here that we learned to act according to our will and how to choose good and evil while not directly in the presence of our Heavenly Father and Mother. Yes, there was sin in this first estate and covenants and a judgment, or at least a partial judgment, as the final judgment would occur after mortality. It was in this phase that we separated ourselves spiritually. The end result was not binary in the sense that those who went with Lucifer were pure evil and those who stayed with the Savior were pure good. We separated ourselves over the entire spectrum of good and evil, from the Savior, who was perfect, to Lucifer, who was eventually pure evil. However, our decisions, faults, and our developed spiritual nature, good and evil, were our own. We developed it by our own choices. The answer to how we could develop so differently, given our parents being celestial, is for another time. But it has to do with that time before we became children of our Heavenly Father and Mother. Needless to say, we grew to spiritual adulthood and maturity with full knowledge of the plan and its blessings and consequences. It was no surprise to Lucifer and his followers that they were removed from heavenly places as they were fully aware of the entire plan and all it had to offer, both in the sense of blessings, benefits, and consequences. We had eternities of history before our eyes from previous generations of gods. We were fully vested and understood the end from the beginning. Once we had sufficient time to demonstrate our willingness or unwillingness to be obedient to celestial laws and had matured to full stature in knowledge and ability, through the Savior we were assigned to an earth and mortality. This would be a phase four, what we call our second estate, 
When we came here, we came with all our abilities, frailties, natural spiritual instinct, and everything we had learned by our experience in the pre-mortal world. Many of us came unprepared for the experience, and others came very prepared for the experience. But that preparation was not given by our Father in Heaven. Our preparedness was entirely our own doing during this first estate experience. It was also during this first estate experience, towards the end of the time frame, that we matured that the leaders, prophets, teachers, and hosts of individuals were called based on their obedience to the gospel. They were each called to specific missions and to fill necessary roles to aid and to provide spiritual insight to their fellow brothers and sisters. The key to understanding this life in mortality is to understand that we did not all come perfect to mortality and our lack of perfection was entirely our own decision. It is also important to understand that when we were born to our heavenly parents, we obtained spiritual attributes as part of our, let's call it spiritual DNA. Like a mortal body, these attributes were to be a guide to us and to aid us in our development. This included a defined sex, male or female. Now these were chosen, now how these were chosen by our Heavenly Father and Mother, we don't know. But I assume that two all-knowing gods, male and female, knew exactly what they were doing when that happened. How much we understood of our sexuality and felt it as a spirit is really unknown. But it was likely that we had feelings for one another and we developed deep relationships based on both sexuality and, of course, the opposing type of love, charity. We have no idea if we developed same-sex attraction or mixed feelings about gender, but if it were possible, in pre-mortality, we did so. These were not given by our Father in Heaven and Mother in Heaven as laws of celestial life did not allow for these types of experiences. Our parents gave us guiding celestial attributes and taught us celestial principles and then allowed us to choose for ourselves. When we progressed to earth, we came with a host of spiritual weaknesses not given to us by our father or mother in heaven, but by our own choice. Now the scripture in Ether that talks about giving weaknesses, again in Ether 12:27, is talking about mortal weaknesses found in the body, the mortal body in the DNA, not those spiritual weaknesses we just discussed. We were, in mortality, given specific weaknesses to aid us here, to learn principles that we might not have learned sufficiently in pre-mortal life, and to test our spiritual nature. Now the principle was that if we would come to our Savior in humility and ask, those mortal weaknesses would never affect our salvation or exaltation, and would instead become a great benefit to us. If we chose not to come to the Savior, they would be a significant issue that would hinder our salvation and exaltation. We would literally be weighed down by them. The Savior in the same scripture, interestingly enough, also promised that if we would come to him, he would also repair the spiritual weaknesses we had accumulated by our own lack of diligence in our first estate, meaning that he would repair both the mortal weaknesses he would give to us and the spiritual weaknesses that came with us if we would humbly come to him and ask. Interestingly enough, 
our mortal weaknesses tend to be similar to our spiritual ones. That is because he uses the mortal weaknesses to strengthen our spiritual weaknesses. He knows the experiences we need to be able to obtain salvation and exaltation. He would repair us completely here in mortality if we would allow him to do so. This brings us to all the weaknesses we possess here in mortal life. Any desire, passion, thought, motivation that causes us to act outside of celestial principles is a weakness. And it is likely that we obtain that weakness by our own actions in the first estate. Yes, it could also be a weakness in our mortal bodies that was placed here to aid in our development. But either way, the Savior provided for the remedy. If we would come to him, he would heal all weakness. This does not mean that we all we had to do was accept him and ask, and everything would be celestial after that. We would have to learn step by step and line upon line with him as our guide. It was going to be terribly difficult, even feel impossible. But by covenant, we would be able to accomplish it through the Savior. It might even take a lifetime of weakness, difficulty, and suffering. But ultimately, if we endured and continued to repent and work with him, we would find salvation and exaltation. This has always been the difficult part for me to accept in many ways. That what I have felt at times to be so real is a weakness that I likely brought with me or a mortal weakness that the Lord needed to include in my training because of a weakness, a spiritual weakness I already possessed. None of my weaknesses were given to me simply because of random earthly genetics or the reckoning of the cosmos. I chose all my weaknesses, whether I chose them in the pre-mortal life decision by decision or I chose them in mortality as a consequence of my spiritual weaknesses. The Savior and our Heavenly Parents do not give mortal weakness just for the sake of giving mortal weaknesses, and they never gave us spiritual weaknesses. Each mortal weaknesses has a divine design and a purpose in mortality, giving us the ability to learn directly from the Savior how to become an exalted being. I am certain by now you understand what I am inferring. Anything that falls outside of the gospel doctrine taught by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints through its prophets and apostles is a weakness that we likely brought with us or was given to us as mortals to aid in the development of spiritual weaknesses. It has taken me decades to accept this idea and understand how and why we have such difficulties with our emotions and desires and how such deep desires could exist that we find in same-sex attraction and gender identity. These are not God-given in our spirits. They either came with us from the pre-mortal world, learning by our own decisions and actions, or they are weaknesses given to us to aid in our learning here in mortality. I know that these emotions feel very real and that Lucifer mixes them with such deceptive philosophies of men, that celestial life and God's commands appear to be hateful, unkind, and unloving. That is simply not true in any sense. Our father and mother truly desire that we become as they are, through humility and overcoming our weaknesses through the Savior. If we do this, we will come to understand the celestial principles taught through the doctrines of the restored church are true and correct and most loving in every way. 
I know that this does not diminish the feelings or the reality of the way individuals feel about sexuality and gender identity, and I am not expecting it to. But we should, tr we should understand that these feelings are not God-given in the sense that he has randomly assigned them to us. They are based on our decisions and actions, always have been from pre-mortality to mortality. I personally know that my mental illness issues were given specifically designed to help me to return to celestial life. They are my Abrahamic test to see if I will do what I am commanded even when it doesn't make much sense. That is the answer to the idea of how a loving God could allow for such difficult weaknesses. The philosophies of men would say that psychologically we are the person our emotions say we are. While that is true in some sense, in other senses it is not. The same philosophy mixes scripture with it stating that God loves everyone as they are. This meaning that whatever I choose, God will allow because he gave me these emotions that I feel. In addition, the extension of that mixed doctrine, God is love or allows all, states that if I don't love individuals as they are and support their decisions no matter what and teach this same principle to do whatever you desire doctrine, that I am not of God, that I am bigoted and denying the mercies of Christ. This is a soothing doctrine when one believes the philosophy that God will not punish those who follow their emotions. The problems with the doctrine prescribed in this manner are twofold. First, not all emotions are real and not all emotions define us. That is one thing I have certainly learned from mental illness. Our natural man body can create all types of emotions that do not define us. I would certainly hope that my feelings of depression and anxiety do not define me as a person. Even the mania does not feel very godlike in its expression. The same is true for a host of feelings we have surrounding gender identity, sexuality, and same-sex attraction. Interestingly enough, mental illness and gender identity tend to run in the same circles. Now, I am not saying that everyone who has struggles with gender identity has mental illness. I want to make that very clear. But they do have a correlation. We should be cautious about emotions we use to define our nature as our body chemistry can most certainly go awry. While I personally have never dealt with this issue at a significant level, I understand how it occurs and why it does. And I do understand how real emotions can be and feel and the reality of those motions. I understand the very nature of why suicide appeals to so many who have mental illness and the power and the power that emotion has to lead us to believe that suicide is the right option for us. And believe me, it is not. The second issue with God loves everyone and accepts individuals as they are is that this doctrine has significant issues when we begin to talk about extending the doctrine to individuals who feel then that it is right to have intimate contact with minors or children, or when we extend it to the idea of cheating on one's partner or polyamorous relationships, when we extend it beyond any bounds that the Lord has set. Once you move past the laws of celestial life that the Savior has dictated through his ordained prophets, there is no moral line drawn other than arbitrarily by oneself. 
meaning that each individual then would be able to draw their line of morality to fit their personal needs and emotions. When we say the Savior loved everyone and condemned no one, we are absolutely incorrect. The Savior corrected individual behavior all the time. To the woman brought to him in adultery, he said, Go and sin no more. To Peter, he said, Get thou behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of God. Even to the man who was let down by a rope through a roof by his friends to be healed, he said to sin no more. The Savior corrected behavior all the time. That is love. If I had a small child, and I lived by a busy intersection, and I simply told the child that crossing the road is dangerous, but they could do whatever they wanted, and then left the gate open, I would not be considered a loving parent. Loving parents establish rules and keep gates locked until we are able, are of age and experience to understand the nature of dangerous roads. Now, I am not advocating some type of mosaic law rule over our children. That is not the way of the Savior and not the way of the gospel. Children need to learn from experience and by their own relationship with the Savior. But we don't leave the gate open until someone is of sufficient understanding to know how to cross the road safely. This doesn't mean that they won't cross the road later carelessly, but that they have sufficient knowledge to do so, understanding the consequences. What we are saying when we say God is love is that he is willing to correct us and provide mortal weaknesses to help us to become like him and to set moral boundaries, but that it requires that we work to live the gospel and covenants and repent even when our mortal weaknesses and those we brought with us from our first estate would strongly say otherwise. When it comes to emotions, mortality natural man, and our first and second estates, we will face powerful emotions that are not real or truly define us as individuals. They may be of our own choices or given as mortal weaknesses, but they were never intended to cause us to be, to be defined by them. They are training tools to allow and provide for exaltation, and so that we could come fully and humbly to our Savior for help and comfort. I promise that the Savior fully understands your emotional reality and who you really are. And one of the greatest blessings of church membership is to fully understand through the Savior your identity and your talents. He is truly a friend to those in need. I hope today that my words have been helpful and not hurtful. I hope that you find the hope you need in your life and that you will pursue your individual nature through the Savior and His plan for you. May the Lord bless you and may you do your part so that the Lord can do His.